0: Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Um, hey, if you have your Bible open to Philippians chapter one, Philippians in the New Testament chapter one, uh, if I know some people are here for the very first time, so I'll just repeat myself from what I said last week. Uh, if you heard it then, you'll hear it again now. Uh, I just want to give you, a, for those of you who first time, a little quick snapshot of about us, about what you might expect if you come here like. On a Sunday morning like this, or come back on Wednesday night. You know, Katie talked about us having our first normal CBS or college Bible study on Wednesday night, and so you might wonder what what is that like? What are we going to do? What do I, what's going to happen if I show up? So on Sunday mornings in this gathering, what we're doing right now, um, normally, actually more than normally, almost always, we are we are um, studying just studying straight through a book of the Bible. Um, the only time we're not is on a random Sunday if we have some other speaker or some other random topic we're talking about. But almost always, we're just studying th- straight through a book of the Bible. Um, in the summer months, if you're ever here during the summer, summer's a fun time to be here. Uh, we're usually in the Old Testament on, on Sunday mornings like this. Uh, so this past summer, we just finished First and Second Samuel. Um, but then in the fall and spring, the main part of the school year, we're usually in the New Testament. Last year, we were in Romans. We studied through Romans all and by the way, if your if your your back is to me, you feel free to turn your uh, chair around. That would be terribly awkward for me to be like this for like an hour. I'm not going to talk for an hour. Um, anyway, for a long time. Um, so but this this fall, uh, it's going to be Philippians, and then when we come back in the spring, we'll we'll study through James. And so uh, I hope you'll be here for that. And we just work straight through it uh, for a couple of reasons. One that we we do that so that it's easy on you. You know where wherever we left off last Sunday, that's where we're going to pick up the next Sunday. So if you were here last week, we just looked at verses one and two of Philippians chapter one. So where are we going to start today? Verse three. We're just going. You just know where we are. But second of all, we do that because we believe that there aren't uh, there 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 are not extra special parts of Scripture. Uh, we think that every every verse of Scripture is inspired by God, and therefore. As as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and therefore profitable. So there are going to be passages you have never read before that you'll come in contact with because we're working straight through it, and it's going to be profitable for you. And we do that because we believe that it is God's word for us, and there's nothing that we need to know more than that. And then on Wednesday nights um, uh, at 8 o'clock in this room, we won't have round tables like this set up. We'll just have chairs. Uh, and we'll worship together, and then we'll get in the Word together. It's a, it's a, it's a fun time. We're, we're in Scripture. We're not studying straight through books of the Bible, but it's going to be more topical in nature. So Katie announced that this fall we're going to be in a, in a, a, a series on, uh, ironically, the, the, what we believe about the Bible, the doctrine of Scripture. You'll hear me pray and talk a lot about the fact that we believe and confess our faith that all Scripture is Inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary. We say that a lot. I thought it might be helpful to take a semester and just dive deep into that. And why do we confess those things about the Bible? Why do we believe those things about the Bible? Is it because we just decided we wanted it to be that way? Or does that, do those things that we confess about the, about the Bible, is that what the Bible teaches about itself? And how do we understand those things? That's this fall. Come back in the spring and on Wednesday nights, it's going to still be topical still biblical, but but taking a biblical look at things that we all struggle with, things like worry and fear, anxiety, um, bitterness and anger, things like gossip and slander, things like sexual temptation or jealousy and self-image, even other things like distraction and procrastination, things like that. Just things we all deal with. And then somewhere in the spring, my wife Laura and I, We'll um we'll do a relationship talk, and that's always a fun time. Um yeah. Also on your table, by the way, my wife put uh, a little thing uh, for she, she does soup night at our house on on uh, on Sunday nights, and uh, she would love for you to come eat homemade soup and homemade bread at my house after church on Sunday night. So yeah, come do that with us. Anyway, all right. <laughs> Um, and, and just remember, coffee cat tomorrow night at 7 o'clock is a trivia night. That's fun time. It's going to be packed out. That's part of the fun. Philippians chapter 1. Um, our passage this morning is going to be verses 3 through 8. And if you're in the group me, if you're not, ask somebody at your table to put you in it if you want to be in it. But you'll notice in the group me a lot of times I try to give you a heads up of, of what passage is coming up Sunday so that you can read it ahead of time and think about it for yourself before you come because you will always get more out of it on Sundays that way. Like I said, last week we just dipped our toe in the opening verses of this letter just to get a little background and overview of it. If you missed that or you're like, ooh, I wanted to hear that first and second Samuel series that Greg Key and I co-taught, uh, all our stuff is on a podcast. Just search Lakeview College Ministry. You can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or probably some other way. I don't know. But um, and you can, you can catch up on that. But today we're diving in earnest in this letter uh, again, Paul is writing, most likely, in my view, from Ephesus in prison, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, about hundred miles away. You can read about how that church started in Acts chapter sixteen. Philippi was a very Roman city; it had a lot of retired uh, military Roman soldiers living there, and they didn't—they were very Roman. They did not really appreciate Christianity or Christians. Paul had suffered there, and no doubt the church there was also suffering. And so Paul writes this letter in part to encourage them in that. So he begins his letter in earnest in verse 3. So if you found that place in your Bible, uh, follow along as I read verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy with the affection of Christ Jesus let's pray Lord would you uh, would you help us as we study your word today we do confess as we, as we just mentioned our faith that that every word that we just read every word that we will make reference to elsewhere in scripture it is your word it's your holy inspired inerrant infallible sufficient clear authoritative and necessary word and so Lord that being the case Would you give us eyes to see the truth that you would have us to see um, in this ancient but always relevant letter? Would you give us not just eyes to see the truth, would you give us minds to understand it very clearly? Would you give us then hearts to embrace and love and see as important these truths that you have eternally seen fit to reveal to us? Would you give us wills to obey and put into practice whatever it is that it commands or admonishes us uh, to do? Would you give me the help that I need to teach it? Would you give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in the Word today? In Christ's name, amen. All right, as we spend a few minutes in this text, if you're taking notes, um, here's what I would want us to consider, and I'll go ahead and tell you where we're going, and then we'll go there. And I hope to leave you some time around your tables at the end, as always. Notice... Aspirations don't always become reality, but I'm going to try today. Notice in verse 3 how it begins with, I thank my God, or I give thanks to my God. That's the, how's how uh, verse 3 begins, so it's, it's, it's a thanksgiving. And notice the very last words of verse 4 are, with joy. Uh, so what Paul is going to say in these verses are uh, an expression of and an explanation of why he is so joyfully thankful in the Lord to begin this letter. And without question, it's instructive for us. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to see is Paul finding joy in prayer, joy in prayer. That's what we're going to find in verses 3 and 4. And there's more in these verses than you might notice at first glance, joy in prayer, verses 3 and 4. And then second, we're going to see Paul expressing his joy in partnership, joy in partnership, that's verse 5, as well as verses 7 and 8. I really think what Paul says in those verses, verses five and seven and eight, joy in partnership. I really think that that's not just true for all of us generally, but I think when we get there, I want to try to show you what we do in our college ministries specifically uh, is is relevant to what he says here. So there's important things for us to hear, and then thirdly and finally, we're going to finish with one of the most well-known verses in the New Testament, showing Paul's joy in the promise, which of course is based on verse 6, that he who began a good work would carry it on to completion. Joy in the promise is so important for us to, for our understanding of salvation. We'll just touch on that one today because that, that, that theme and that idea is going to come up plenty of times throughout, throughout Philippians. So let's dive in and take a closer look. Think about Paul's joy in prayer described in verses 3 and 4. So like I said, uh, I pointed out, he begins it with, I thank my God, I thank God my God. And then as I was preparing to talk about this this morning, I just sat right there for just a second. I had to just thinking about my own, my own, I, you know, I try to, I try to bring it into my own heart before I try to bring it to yours. Um, I was arrested by those first words. I thank my God because it is my estimation and you feel free to disagree with me. I, I think thankfulness is far too seldom the cry of our hearts, and just the attitude and posture of our hearts, thankfulness. Um, and I, I say that, it, in, in my estimation, it's true of my own heart far too much. And why is that a big deal? Why is that something that would, should arrest me and should arrest you? It's, it's, it's this. It's, it's a big deal because of what the Holy Spirit has told us in other places in Scripture that he's told us through Paul in other places of Scripture. Then maybe the clearest example is what Paul said in Romans one twenty one. If you just want to jot down that reference. Romans 1.21. In that verse, Paul is talking to unbelievers. And he's talking to unbelievers that, that he has already argued, even though you're an unbeliever, you have already been given all of this revelation of God in the sun and moon and stars and all the things that, that it is unmistakable through the creation that there's a Creator. I mean, you see and you know God. And so he says in verse 21 about those unbelievers, although they knew God through the things that he's made, although they knew God, here's what he says about them, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So in other words, giving thanks to God genuine thanks to God is one vital, important way that we, I personally, honor God as God in my life and as God over all things. And so, in other words, lack of thankfulness and and in my heart is a lack of recognition and honoring of God as God in my life. And I'm never sitting in neutral. I'm either going this way or this way. I'm never sitting still. So if I'm not going toward God in thankfulness, I'm going to be sliding away from him into where? If it's not recognition of God and honoring him as God, I'm going to be sliding away from that into self-worship. I'm going to be, another Bible word for that is idolatry. Idolatry of any other thing that I might be prizing highly in my life could be pleasure. It could be all sorts of things. Paul does talk about people who loved pleasure rather than being a lover of God. That, I thank my God. I think that is a good measure of the love of God in our hearts. Um, But I need to move on. Remember, I pointed out he ends verse four with with joy. I think thankfulness is also the key to joy um, that he expresses at the end of verse four. Why? Because when you, when you really understand as a Christian, when you really understand that every good, every, every good thing that comes into your life, you have no control over it. A gracious God brings that into your life. And, and as a believer, even the difficulties in your life, you have the promise and the assurance that, 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 they are brought into your life for your good uh, from, from the loving hand of God. when you realize that we will give thanks for that and that thanks brings with it joy, right? That's how he, that's how he, he begins this, this letter. And when I was thinking about this point, thankfulness and joy. when I was, when I was thinking about that in preparing and reading, I came across a letter. I hate it. it's not gonna be on the screen, but it's not complicated. Just listen very carefully to it. It was written in the third century, so that's like the 200s, by a Christian named Cyprian, and he was writing to his friend Donatus. I don't know if Donatus was I don't it wasn't a believer. So, here's what he said: Cyprian said in a letter to Donatus, he he wrote and he said, "This seems a cheerful world, Donatus. When I when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. In other words." He's, he, he's writing this letter from a beautiful place. Like, he's sitting under the shade tree, you know, uh, sipping on a sweet tea. And he's like, and he's looking out at a beautiful creation. He said, when I'm sitting here, it looks, this is a great place. It's a cheerful world, right? He said, but if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Thieves on the high road, pirates on the seas. In the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds. Under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It really is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. Yet in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They're despised and persecuted, but they care not. These people, Donatus, are the Christians, and I'm one of them. I love that. Because what that shows is, for the Christian, joy is is not naive. It's not naive about hardship. It's not naive about heartache. It is actually a clear-eyed understanding of something that sees through them um, to something better. That's the Christian's joy. That, that, and joy is joy. This, Paul said it elsewhere in the fruit of the Spirit. He's, he's going to say it so forcefully in this letter. Joy is the mark of a Christian. Remember, that's the, that's the second of the fruit of the Spirit that is listed in, a, in another letter. Love, Joy. Joy is just behind love as a mark of a Christian. And while we're talking about it, this is a major theme of this letter. So, I mean, if you want to just flip, it's just, you only have to flip one time probably near at the end of the letter. But in this verse, he prays with joy. Down in one, chapter 1, verse 18, Paul is, is, he's got, even though they're wrong motives, he, he's, he rejoices that Christ is being proclaimed. In chapter 1, verse 18, 25, Paul is committed to the Philippians' joy. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul is, Paul's joy is completed uh, to see the Philippians walking in, in unity. In chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul and the Philippians, they both rejoice even in sacrifice. In chapter 2, verse 29, he urges them to, re, uh, excuse me, in verse 28, he knows that the Philippians are going to rejoice to see Epaphroditus again. And so verse 29, he says, receive him back with all joy. In chapter 3, verse 1, he tells them, he commands them to rejoice in the Lord. Go all to chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 1, he tells the Philippians, they are his joy, my joy and crown. Chapter 4, verse 4, Twice commands them, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And finally, in verse 10 of chapter 4, he rejoiced greatly because of the Philippians' concern for him. You can go back to chapter 1. I belabor that point just to to show that there's there's no getting around it. There's no getting around it. That is something that should mark me. It should mark you. uh, Joy. Just joy joy in the Lord but does it right I think that's a good question to ask from time to time and like I said thankfulness is what cultivates that but like I said earlier there's three reasons that are causes for his joy and thanksgiving and the first one what we're talking about here is joy and prayer And there are a few things in verses three and four that we can see about that first notice he says I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Did you notice all the alls in the every? All my remembrance, always in every prayer for you all. And if you look down in um, verse uh, 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. There's another all. Now, all I want to say about that is related to something I mentioned last week if you're able to be here. Paul loved this Philippian church. You'll you'll, it, you'll see it. We'll go into this letter. He loved this Philippian church, but it was not a perfect church. It wasn't a perfect church. I told you last week that one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter was actually to rebuke them at one point. He was going to address a point of disunity in this church. And remember, he, he says in chapter 4, verse 2, he was asking that, These two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche, telling them to agree in the Lord. These two ladies, I said last week, these two ladies are in Scripture forevermore because of whatever stupid thing they were fighting about. That's crazy. But it was a big enough deal for Paul to put it here. And and in chapter 2, he's going to have to emphasize Unity in the whole church. Uh, and so this is far from a perfect church. But still, that being the case, still these opening words, he gives thanks for every one of them. And he finds joy in every single one of them, even Euodia and Cintiki. Those two ladies were people who, by name, deserved a rebuke enshrined in the Bible forevermore. But Uodi and Sintiki were part of the all and the every that he gave thanks for, joyful thanks for. And that is most definitely something that is rare and in short supply in our culture at large that we're swimming in. It just is. By and large, okay, disagree with me if you want, but I think by and large the the instinct response toward people who have wronged us in some way or who just rub us the wrong way, either softly or harshly, is to cancel them. It's just to, to, to cut them off or don't have anything to do with them. It's not to whatever. And Paul is teaching us something here that pushes back on that. Thankfulness cultivates joy for every person that even that wrongs you in some way or deserves some kind of rebuke from you. For anybody that wrongs you or rubs you the wrong way or whatever, there are still things about that person. If you don't just cut them off, if you just still give them a fighting chance, there are still things about that person or good things that God has done in your life because of that person, even if it's they rubbed you the wrong way and that taught you patience, right, for which you could give thanks, Right? And find joy. I think when we when we get to know people, when we get to know people or or know yeah and know their circumstances. That that cultivates a thankfulness to that person uh, or for that person, which cultivates joy instead of irritation. Um. Yeah, I. Years and years ago, I had a, there was a man in, in, in my church who uh, was that guy for me, just as he was that guy for me. Uh, and I was his pastor. I can't be like, forget you. I can't be that guy. And it was hard. It was hard. I felt like I had to just put on a face every time I saw him, you know. The more I got to know him, though, this is a man who had become a believer later in life. He had not raised his children in a Christian home. And he had grown children now, both of whom were drug addicts. So bad that They would steal his car and sell it for drugs. And on Saturday night, late at night, he would have to leave his home, go find where his kids were and his car was, try to get his car back, try to help his kids out. If you had to do that late on Saturday night, you might not be fresh as a daisy on Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? Now, that might be an extreme example. I'm just saying you don't know people. You don't know people. I think if you, if you, if you when we get to know people, and get our eyes off ourselves, and even when our eyes are on our phone, our eyes are still really on ourselves. We get to know people and we cultivate watchfulness. Really see people. And then you'll notice, actually, what is praiseworthy about them. Um, How beautifully God has created every person after his own image differently. That is not to ignore or sugarcoat shortcomings. That dude was still really rude to me almost all the time. Almost all the time. But it will help us to be merciful and give thanks as a sinner for other sinners. You know? But there's a second possible cause for Paul's... Joy, joyful Thanksgiving here in this prayer, it's, it's not the second point it's just another way of looking at this first point. I say possible because there is a translation question uh, here and I'm not trying to get nitpicky or, or anything but uh, when it translates in your Bible, it was written in Greek and it translates, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you it, it, there is a legit alternate translation that could be I thank my God in all your remembrance of me In other words, he may be thanking God that the Philippians think about him so much, which fits in the context he's about to thank them for all the things that they've done for him. But that just reinforces again to think about ways that we have benefited from people around us, right? Uh, Through their thoughtfulness about us or toward us, kindness to us, helpfulness to us. That's, That's what Paul is doing for the Philippians here. But if these, if these opening words, uh, his joy and prayer, if they, if they are anything, they are an encouragement for us to know each other. That's going to be more, that's why we sit at round tables, so that it's hard to come here and be anonymous. It's also why I encourage you to sign up and be a part of a missional community group so that you can be known. You can know and be known. Um, it's, a, it's a sweet thing. But you can know each other, love each other, give thanks for each other with specific things in mind. Find joy in each other. But as I said, there was a there's a there's a third part of this joy in prayer. And that's just a, a reminder where where Paul is writing this from. He's in prison. These are the this, this this man is in prison, and his first words are I give thanks to my God with joy in prison. He's writing a joy-filled letter from prison, unjustly imprisoned. So the circumstances that influenced Paul's joy exemplified in his prayers for them, they were not his immediate circumstances. They were something much larger, which we're going to see as we come to the second cause of Paul's joy and thanksgiving. We've seen Paul's joy in prayer, but for the next few minutes I want to note Paul's joy in partnership. This is, this is an important point, point for us to hear. When you come to verse 5, Paul introduces a second reason why he has such joyful thanksgiving for this Philippian church, and it's why he prays for them with that joy. And it's this, in verse 5, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul, right there in verse 5, he introduces for the first time a word that he is going to use in every chapter of this letter, sometimes more than once. Um, And it's that word, you may have heard it before, it's a Greek word, koinonia or sometimes often translated fellowship, right? It's that word translated partnership. A lot of times in the Bible it's translated as fellowship. It's the word koinonia. Well, what is that? What is, what is Paul talking about when he says, to, if you leave it untranslated, it's because of your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. What is, what is he talking about when he uses that word? What does the rest of the New Testament mean about that? When, I think when we put all that together, there are two aspects of koinonia, fellowship, partnership, two aspects that we need to know that are directly relevant to us today. One is, here's the one aspect of, of, of the biblical version of koinonia, fellowship, partnership. One is friendship. That's one aspect of it, friendship. You can tell it, right here there is Deep affection and friendship that Paul has for the Philippians. Well, like When you look down at verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. I hold you in my heart. And in verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He he loves them as friends. And we see examples of this aspect of fellowship in other places in the New Testament. Maybe most famously in the early chapters of Acts. If, if you want to, hold your place here in, in Philippians 1 and just flip backwards to Acts chapter 2. We won't stay here long because we don't have a lot of time, and I'm really trying to give you time around your tables. So be expeditious. It's a good word. When you get to Acts chapter 2, just look at verses near the end of the chapter, just, just uh, verses 44 to 46. This is, uh, this is the, the early, early church, the first believers after Christ's resurrection. And he says about that church in Jerusalem, verses 44 to 46, and all who believed were together, friends, right? And they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day. Attending the temple together, there's that word again, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That that, that last phrase is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, with glad and generous hearts. I mean, I would have loved to have been there and seen that, right? It's probably hard for us to fully understand the depth of the friendship that they had. If you just flip over to chapter 4, though, Uh, And look at just one verse. Just look at verse 32. We see in chapter 4, verse 32, we see similar testimony. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, and they had everything in common. And their, 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 their love for each other and their friendship went deep. And when you come back to Philippians chapter 1, You see a similar thing going on between Paul and this Philippian church. We talked last week about how Paul is 100 miles away in Ephesus in prison. And and, and the Philippian church were sending people like Epaphroditus, 100 miles, not in a car, to visit uh, Paul in prison and to encourage him with supplies and gifts. So friendship is without question an aspect of fellowship, koinonia partnership and that by the way flows out of what we said in the first point if we know each other well enough and we we think carefully about all the ways that we should be thankful for each other specifically that'll cultivate deep friendships but that's not all fellowship is it can't all happen uh in the way it normally does here d.a carson is a new testament scholar you okay i just want to tell you that so that you don't think i'm saying this He described fellowship this way. The heart of true fellowship is, and here's his fancy way of saying it, self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. I don't know if if you heard in that the something more that I'm referring to. All the passages that we just read not only in Philippians, but in Acts, that gave a good example of the self-sacrificing bit. But the most important aspect that that Carson adds is conformity to a shared vision. Conformity to a shared vision. And in that Christian community, in Philippi and in the Jerusalem church, that that shared vision is the gospel. That shared vision is gospel proclamation. It's mission. And we see that right here in our passage. Look again at verse 5. He gives thanks, joyful thanks, because of your koinonia in the gospel. That's what he says. And notice it's translated as partnership, which I think is a better way of saying it than fellowship here because it carries the idea of being on purpose together. Frank Thielman is another New Testament scholar. He said it this way, talking about koinonia, fellowship, partnership. It is a costly expression of their commitment to the gospel. Paul is not talking about the Christian fellowship that takes place at church suppers, coffee shops, Bible studies, and Sunday schools, nor is he talking primarily about the kinship that Christians feel for one another even when they don't know each other very well. Rather, it is a costly expression cooperation, being partners in their common goal of advancing the gospel. And if you don't, you don't have to turn back to Acts chapter 2 again, but that that passage describes so beautifully their their friendship of nobody had, they all had all things in common, they met day by day, they broke bread in their homes, great friends. But that passage ends by saying this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That didn't just happen. They were were being added day by day as believers because their lives together bore witness and they were being faithful to share Christ with other people. When Paul is talking about the Philippians being partners in the gospel from the first day until now, he's he's not just talking about their support of him, him taking and declaring the gospel, but their own faithfulness to bear witness to Christ in a very difficult place like Philippi, undergoing their own difficulties. How do we know that? If you look down in verse 7 again, he says... For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Meaning, not only were they side by side with Paul in his struggles, Paul was side by side with them in theirs. And why is that relevant to us today? In terms of our college ministry, um, that is exactly what we desire our missional community groups to be. That's exactly what what we want. We want them to cultivate real um, and deep friendships for you. But, but also friendships that grow deeper than maybe you've ever had before precisely because you are, as friends, committed to bearing witness to Christ together. Right? There are all kinds of friendships there are all kinds of groups that are self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. There's all kinds of shared visions that people have. And they can use if you have a share a vision, you can finally, usually find somebody to share that with you. But there's only one who has the smile of God on it. There's only one that brings that kind of joy. So Paul is joyfully thankful for the Philippians in his prayers for them, in his partnership with them. But ultimately thirdly, thing we need to see very quickly, which is, His joy in the promise. Stuck in the middle of our passage this morning is perhaps the most important statement of all. It's verse 6 where we read Paul say, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is his point in saying this here? Paul is reflecting on the the, the lives and the actions that he sees in these Philippian Christians and he's saying in verse 6, hey, what I see in you, that is evidence that God is already at work in you. He has already begun a good work in you. I mean, he, he's already begun that work and their, their lives of obedience and sacrifice to Christ, bearing witness to that. And Paul knows the promise of God that God will always complete the work of salvation that he starts in us. And it shows that, that where that impetus comes from to find joy and thankfulness no matter the circumstances because all things are headed to a better day in Jesus Christ. Paul could tell the Romans in Romans 8.18, another that's a great memory verse. Romans 8.18 is a great memory verse. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Paul's joy is not ultimately in the Philippians. It's not ultimately in their partnership for the gospel. It's ultimately in the Lord and the gracious promise of his salvation, not just for the forgiveness of sins, but for the hope of eternal life.